along. The reading is on page 1000 in the Church Bibles. It's Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 1. Matthew chapter 28. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan... They gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. The second reading continues from the first, so Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 16. It's found on page 1000 if you shut your Bibles. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, for the past 2,000 years since those words were spoken by Jesus, we've kind of got half. No, that's not my... No. That, that looks very nice, but that's not <laughs> mine. There we go. Well, um, for the past 2,000 years, people have travelled all around the world to share the news that Jesus is alive. But why? Why do it? Why leave everything behind to go and tell the world that a carpenter from Israel who died 2,000 years ago is still alive? 
Why? Well, we've known many people um, from this church who have gone perhaps on uh, short-term overseas mission. Obviously, this church was named after someone who went to go and tell people who didn't know Jesus that he was alive. There we go. Uh, One of my um, childhood heroes uh, was this man. This is Eric Liddell, a famous uh, Olympian and medalist, and uh, probably made most famous by the film Chariots of Fire. Anytime you hear that music, the everything just goes into slow motion. There's probably a whole load of young people who have no idea what I'm talking about. Go and watch Chariots of Fire. It's like one of the best films ever. And uh, so Eric Liddell and and following his career. But what a lot of people don't know about Eric Liddell is later on in life, he became a missionary. He went overseas to China to tell the people there that Jesus is alive. He, in fact, ended up dying in China. China, then, as it it continues to be in many ways, isn't an easy place to tell people that Jesus is alive. But why would someone like Eric Liddell or uh, James Hannington do this? Why would they go and tell the world that Jesus is alive? Well, it's because of the kingdom that they live in. It's because of the risen kingdom and the message of this kingdom. There's three things we see about the risen kingdom in this passage that we're going to think about. And the first one is the message of his kingdom, the message of Jesus's kingdom. So, We've, we've heard the first bit of chapter 28 telling us about how the women heard that Jesus was alive, the angel appearing, seeing the empty tomb, and they were told to go and tell the other disciples what had happened, and that Jesus is alive. And then in verse 16, we see the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. You see, they were going back to Galilee, to the north of the country, where it had all begun. Galilee was an important place. It's where Jesus had grown up. It's where he had called his disciples, people like Peter, people like James and John. He told them to leave what they were doing and come and join him. He said he would make them fishers of men. Galilee was where it had all started. And this is where Jesus appears to them on this mountain after he had been raised back to life. But look with me at this passage. Something has changed. Look at verse 18. It says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is big. What Jesus is claiming here, what Jesus is saying here, he's saying all authority in the whole universe is now mine. And as we look back in the Old Testament, we can see where this authority comes from and whose authority it is. This is God's authority. If you look back in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, we see this whole event being foretold by Daniel the prophet. This is what it says in Daniel chapter 7. As he sees this great vision of heaven and of the Son of God approaching God the Father. It says this, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This was foretold hundreds of years before Jesus claimed that this was true in their hearing. 
that the risen Jesus had been given all power. You see, Jesus is the promised, death-crushing king with all power and authority. That is the message of his kingdom. That Jesus is the promised, death-crushing king with all power and authority. And Daniel describes this vision where he sees this happening. This great crowning in heaven. It's a bit like a coronation for a king or a queen where they are given the crown and the scepter, those symbols of their power and justice. And so it is with King Jesus, given this authority, glory and power to rule over his kingdom. And look, it is a kingdom that will never be destroyed. This is a kingdom unlike anything else that has ever existed. And this is right at the heart of what the message of his kingdom is about. So it's great, isn't it, in a year that we are thinking about knowing and and sharing the good news, especially as a church, that's one of the things we want to, to learn, how to share that good news of Jesus, that it starts with the message of this kingdom, that Jesus is the promised death-crushing king with all power and authority. That really is at the heart of the Christian good news, at the heart of the gospel. It's the message of this kingdom that risen Jesus is reigning. There are all sorts of things that, that help to make up that message and there are implications that come from it. For example, stuff like social action. Yeah, social action is a great thing to do. But it's not the main thing that the gospel is about. It's something that should flow out of the fact that we worship King Jesus who is alive. In the same way, so is conversion or, or growing holiness. Those are really important things, but they are not the main thing that the gospel is about. The main thing that the gospel is about is the fact that Jesus is risen, that he is the King of kings with all power and on all authority. And you see, the resurrection is the proof of that, isn't it? It says here that the resurrected, risen Jesus is the one that all nations will come to worship. People from all different nations around the world. But what if he had not risen? What if there was no resurrection? Like we've just sung this hypothetical question, if there were no resurrection, what if it was all a hoax? You see, the message of this kingdom stands or falls on the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. If it didn't happen, then there is no purpose us being here tonight. But if it did, that really does change everything. Paul picks up this argument in 1 Corinthians. He says, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith It's futile. It's pointless. You are still in your sins. You see, it's bad news if Jesus hasn't been raised. But think about how the opposite is true. If Jesus has been raised, what does that mean? It means our faith isn't pointless. It isn't futile. But it is worth so much. You see, the resurrection of Jesus isn't like an optional add-on. It's something that you you can have or or choose to leave out of what it means to follow Jesus. It's absolutely vital. Because the resurrection, it's like God's stamp of approval on who Jesus is and on who he said 
he was. On all that he was doing on the cross, in dying in our place, in reconciling us back to God forever. The resurrection is God's stamp of approval. Jesus is who he said he was. You see, the central part of the message of his kingdom is that the king has risen and that this king is reigning. And that's why people like Eric Liddell and Bishop James Hannington are willing to go halfway around the world and die to proclaim his kingdom. So that's the message of his kingdom, that Jesus is the promised death-crushing king with all power and authority. So if that's what it's about, then what does it mean for us to be workers in that kingdom? Because that's what the Bible calls us to be, workers in the king's kingdom. Well, we see here that disciples are to share this message with the whole world. Look at this middle chunk, verses 19 and 20. Jesus says to these disciples, he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, Jesus says that the work of the kingdom, you can, well, from this passage, we can pick up three things that he says about what it means to be at work in the king's kingdom. And we see who this work is for, why it's done, and what its purpose is. So firstly then, who is this work for? And Jesus answers, it's for everyone. It is for everyone to be involved with, and it is to affect everyone in the world. Jesus is calling for disciples to be made out of every nation. No one is exempt. And again, Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy made thousands of years before to Abraham. You see, God promised Abraham all the way back in the book of Genesis. We're going to think about Genesis in the coming evenings, uh, the coming Sunday evenings. God made a promise to Abraham that through his offspring there would be a blessing to all the nations. And it's in this bit, in Matthew 28, that we're going to see how that is going to happen. You see, Jesus is saying that this message isn't just for one nation. It's not just for the Jews, not just for the Israelites. This message of God's kingdom is for everyone. It is for every nation. That is how all the nations on earth will be blessed. If you've been here, um, some of the recent services, we've been thinking about the temple. It plays a really important part in, in the, the days leading up to the crucifixion, the resurrection. And for the temple, for you to come to experience God, you had to come and see. You had to come in closer. But the problem is, if you were Gentile, or if you were a woman, or if you weren't a priest, you could only get so far to the middle. You couldn't get too close. But the whole experience of wanting to draw close to God is you had to come and see But what Jesus is doing is is flipping that around. He's saying it's no longer come and see, it's now go and tell. No longer come and see, it's now go and tell. God's blessing is to go out to the nations. You're no longer to travel in to experience it. We're going to go out to the nations. And notice how Jesus says to go and make disciples. He doesn't say converts. Now, what's, what's the difference? What's a convert? What's a disciple? Well, a convert is, let's say, someone who has, who has made a decision to, to follow Jesus. That's a great thing. But a convert just implies that that's kind of like a one-off event, that, oh, yeah, I've decided to be a Christian. 
A disciple is someone who keeps on. A disciple is someone who, who sits at the foot of Jesus and learns and makes their whole life devoted to him. That's the kind of people who are to occupy his kingdom. Disciples, people who keep on learning and, and who are bringing other people to come and see Jesus for themselves. You see, God's plan is for everyone. And that word that we see there in nations, that's the, the Greek word is ethne, which is where we get ethnicity. This is for every ethnicity. This is for, at the time, all of the pagan nations, the people who would be really scary as a Jew to go out and witness to. People who had very different cultural expectations and who lived differently and ate differently and, and spoke differently. But those are the people that Jesus is calling these disciples to go to. The people who don't know God. Go and get them, Jesus says. That's what people like Eric Liddell was doing. That's what our mission partners are doing. That's why we want to support financially and in prayer our mission partners for the work that they are doing, for taking that good news out to the nations. But there's also a way that all of us can be involved in that too. You see, it's no longer so clear-cut that we think, okay, oh, that country on the map, that's clearly a pagan nation. Not with so much movement in the world. You see, if we think about pagan nations are the, are the people who we find it maybe hard to relate to culturally or socially or whatever, then, well, well, let's think about the city we live in, shall we? I mean, we are blessed. God has given us actually a really diverse city to live in. We no longer have to go out to experience all the other nations because many of them are represented here in this city. We've got so much opportunity for sharing that good news that Jesus is alive with the different nations, with the different diversities in our city today. We can share the risen Jesus with them. And three quick ways we can do that. We can tell them, we can show them, and we can pray for them. We can tell them, we can, we can tell them that, that Jesus is alive. We can tell them what God has done for us. We can give them a book, like some of the books we've got on the back, telling them that Jesus is alive, that Easter is true. But we can show them, we can show them in the ways that we live our life. Maybe at school, maybe at college, maybe at work. We can show these people how Jesus is affecting our lives today. And of course, we need to pray for them. We need to pray that they would come to know Jesus. So why is this done? Why is this done? Well, we get the next clue then as Jesus talks about baptism. Now, very briefly, baptism there illustrates to us new life in Christ. And baptism, when someone gets fully immersed, is a beautiful picture of, of what God can do on the inside, about dying to your old life and being raised forever in Christ. This baptism is a sign of belonging, of new life. God is promising to include members of all nations in his family. It doesn't matter what nation you come from or what your background is. Baptism is quite indiscriminate in that regards. But these baptized believers together as a new family. That's why we do the work of his kingdom. And perhaps if you are here and, and you would call yourself a Christian but you've never been baptized, well maybe think about doing it this year. 
That is part of what Jesus is calling his disciples to be. People who are baptized, people who follow him their whole lives. And then thirdly, on the work of his kingdom, what is its purpose? What what does Jesus want to achieve by, by sending his disciples out to do this, to make disciples of all nations and by baptizing them? Well, he wants their obedience. He wants to see a world of, if you put it this way, little Christs running about. Not people who are Jesus, but people who, by their obedience, act like him. Because he is living inside them by his Spirit. That's why he tells them to teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is about world transformation. It is about faith making a difference to our life. Not just about stuff that we believe or or the way that we talk on Sunday at church. This is about obeying Jesus' commands in all of our life. You teach these disciples to obey my commands because that will make them more like me. And you can imagine a world, or maybe it's too, too incredible even to imagine, a world where everyone showed the kind of love that Jesus shows. Sacrificial, without pride, completely faithful in every regard. It sounds almost too good to be true, doesn't it? But the wonderful promise of the gospel and that we've sung about already tonight is actually that is our future identity. That one day we will all be perfect. That longing to obey God perfectly is a future reality. So now is the time that we prepare for it. So that's the work of his kingdom. So, we thought about changing the world, sharing Jesus with all the nations, loving and praying and helping people we find it difficult to relate to, to love others like Jesus loved. I mean, how can we possibly do all of this? It sounds far too difficult, doesn't it? Well, it would be if it wasn't for how Jesus finishes these words to his disciples. Look at the end of verse 20. Great comfort. He says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, everything that Jesus had commanded his disciples would be impossible if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus promised that he would always be with them. And he promises to always be with us. Jesus is our reason. He is our perseverance and he is our hope. He is our reason because Jesus is with us today. Talk about a a, a catalyst for, for mission, for sharing this news of his kingdom. That we are not alone. You see, we, just like the disciples, needed courage for today. They didn't know what they were going to face after Jesus had said this to them. And some of them, it's an amazing little verse, look back in verse 17. Some of them, even then, even seeing Jesus face to face, were finding it hard to believe. Look at verse 17. It says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Isn't that incredible? 
Isn't that amazing that Matthew notes that? If you were making this up, that is not the kind of thing that you would put in. That seeing Jesus in all his radiance, that some of them doubted. Some of them held back. Some of them weren't quite sure. I think this is amazing that that we have this in such an amazing encounter with Jesus that Matthew records this. You see, we all need God's help so we don't give in to doubt. And I think especially we need to be praying for those who have the jobs of, of teaching and preaching and sharing the gospel for us to remember that Jesus is with us today, that we don't need to give in to doubt Even the disciples who could see Jesus face to face weren't immune. So why should any of us be? Please do pray. We all need to remember that Jesus is with us. Not only today, but he promises to be with us in the future. You see, Jesus, yes, he's our reason, but he's also our perseverance. He's what keeps us going. Jesus promised that he would be with his disciples, not just the next day or the next week, but ongoing throughout their life. Which is all the more amazing, because you read through the book of Acts and what they encountered. Many of them were martyred, or sent to prison, or exiled, because they wouldn't stop saying that Jesus is alive, and that he was reigning. You see, they were able to go through all of that. This this, this group of... Um, mixed up people, some of them had come from being fishermen and tax collectors. They knew that Jesus was with them so they could face anything. Jesus says to them, I am with you all, every day. And last of all, because of the company in this kingdom, Jesus is our hope. You see, Jesus promises not to be with us just today or in the future, but for eternity. As he says here, until the end of the age. When the trumpet sounds, when the Father speaks to the Son saying, now is the time. And Jesus comes back to reign on earth as he does in heaven. Comes back to judge, to make all things perfect. And we see him face to face. Jesus promises to be with us from now up until that moment and forever. You see, this message transforms us, doesn't it? It transforms people like Eric Liddell and and Bishop James Hannington. So do you see why people are willing to give up everything to share this message, even their lives to share this news? This message that it is all about the risen Jesus who reigns, who gives us work to do to share this news with the nations. And we can do this because of the promise that Jesus will be with us. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.